Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. I want you to take a trip back in time. Some of you will have to go further back in time than others, but I want you to imagine you're in sixth grade. All right, go back to sixth grade. Some of you were like, I was never going to go back to middle school, even in my memories, but just bear with me for just a moment. Go back to sixth grade, and I want you to think about uh, a few things. What were you wearing? Now, some of you, if you told me what it was, I would know what decade you were in sixth grade. We're not going to do that, right? But what were you wearing? Who were you with? What were you doing? I want you to think about those things. Now, for me, when I was in sixth grade, I was uh, still in Southern California. I was in Palm Springs, and I was wearing Airwalks or Vans uh, back when they were still cool and not at Walmart. Uh, We were wearing Stussy t-shirts. We were wearing OP shorts. We were eating now and laters, riding our skateboard, beatboxing on the way. I know, hidden talents on the way to the library. That's that's what we were doing. Uh, Why? Because that's what my friends were doing. We were doing that together. And the reason why I share that with you and have you kind of think back to to that um, is not to bring up painful memories of middle school uh, or to date you by what was taking place in your life, Uh, but just to illustrate this fact that when we are in a group, uh, sociologically what we do is we begin to act and look like those that we like, love, and admire. Just want you to think about that. Uh, the group of friends that you ran with, you all had probably the same kind of slang and catchphrases. You began to kind of dress in the same style. You had the same uh, uh, taste in music. You, you were going about doing the same things. And it doesn't matter what decade uh, or really what time in your life you wanted to go ahead and think about this. That, that is probably the case. We have a tendency to look and act like those that we like and love and admire. And I share that with you uh, because as followers of Christ, we should look and act like the one we love and have admiration for, and that's Jesus. That as a follower of Christ, there should be a quality to the life that I live and the way that I go about living it that should demonstrate the fact that I hang out with Jesus. I love him, and I admire him, and I'm doing life with him. And in one sense, that kind of demonstration in your life would be uh, typically described by a metaphor in Scripture called bearing fruit, that your, your life would bear fruit. Uh, you see Jesus talk about this a, a lot of times when he would contrast people who are really religious but didn't really express the love of God, and he would say, you're going to know them by their fruit. Teaches on a number of parables towards that effect, uses that Uh, as teaching for his disciples in the book of John. And then uh, spiritual fruit is something that the Apostle Paul talks about uh, in several different avenues in his letters to the church. And so there's this idea of bearing fruit that demonstrates that we're hanging out with Jesus, so to speak. And in John chapter 15, uh, in the portion of Scripture where Jesus talks about being the vine and and you being the branches and, and bearing fruitfulness in your life, 
uh, in the same context where he's talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit of God would be at work in your life and moving through your life, he uh, touches on this idea. John chapter 15, verse 8 says this, This is to my Father's glory, or God gets the shout out when this happens, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so when we, when we live our lives in a way where we begin to look and act like Jesus looked and acted in the sense of the way that he interacted with people and went about relating to the world around him, that is when fruit is, is born in our lives. It's, it becomes produced or on display. And the fruit of our lives is to be demonstrated in this way, in the way that we live our lives out, primarily in the way that we relate to God relate to others around us or one another and the way that we relate to ourselves. And so how to bear this spiritual fruit for many of us is, is the challenge. It's not really the what. Uh, if you've grown up in church, then you've probably heard of spiritual fruit. If you've, if you've kind of gone to church for any length of time, you've bumped into things like love your neighbor. So it's not primarily a concept that we struggle with, but in, in our day-to-day -day lives, in, in the day-to-day -day interactions with one another and with the Lord, this is where we are faced with the challenge for most of us. And the good news is that as we go about uh, engaging in that, that we, that we have help. That you don't have to do it on your own, you don't have to create it in your own effort, but that the Spirit of God is present and available to partner with you in those things so that you would bear a lot of fruit. And we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about spiritual fruit or the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at kind of the characteristics of it from Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to practically apply it to our lives. And that's where it's really going to have the impact for you and I. It's not going to be learning a concept because you can learn all kinds of things, but it is, it's in practically applying it, being able to walk it out, to live it out that we're going to discover together how to do that. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I would encourage you to open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts today to hear from your word. Lord, give us um, just a soft heart uh, to learn. Lord, give, her, give us a, a learner's heart. Lord, give us a willingness to be led by your spirit and corrected and redirected if needed. And Lord, help us to faithfully trust you because you are good and you have our good in mind in Jesus name. Amen. If your Bible's out, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at that passage uh, really in earnest today. We'll focus in on a single verse and unpack the fruit of the Spirit as we go through this series, but we're going to frame out kind of the big picture and the context so that we're starting from the same place every week as we're going through. We're going to touch on a few concepts that we spoke about two or three weeks ago in our other series where we were talking about just uh, fruit of the Spirit in a general sense, and we're going to build on that and then move into individual uh, details of the characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. If you are interested, you can read the whole section for yourself maybe sometime this week. Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 all the way through 26. We're going to only grab a few portions of this as we build on it today. But what Paul begins to do here in Galatians chapter 5 is he begins to compare and contrast the different ways you can live your life. And this is what we're going to start with, because in every moment of decision, 
And in every interaction relationally, whether it's to people around you, thoughts towards yourself, or your disposition towards the Lord, in each one of those moments, you have a choice as to how you are going to live. And one will lead towards spiritual fruitfulness, and all the others will not. And Paul begins to contrast these different ways of living in a practical sense. And so in verse 16, he says this. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Some of your translations aren't going to say flesh. They're going to say uh, sinful nature. And what you have right here is demonstrated in a very succinct verse the different paths that you can take in the decisions that you make, just in the practical day-to-day. So when you speak to your boss or when you interact with your kids or when you choose a direction or uh, have a value, any of those places of decision in your life, you can choose one of really three avenues that you're going to go. Uh, One choice you can make is to be led by the Spirit of God. We spent several weeks talking about what it looks like to live by the Spirit, and you could get some practical things from those last messages just previously, but you can choose to align yourself with the Spirit of God, and you can go that direction. That one's going to lead to fruitfulness and health and wholeness in Christ. But the other two ways that you can uh, align the decisions of your life are actually illustrated in this verse as well. You can choose the Spirit of God, You can choose sin, and that could be either to do something sinful or just to engage in the brokenness that sin creates in the world around us. Or you can choose self, and all of those are in that verse. So I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. And really, in the points of decision for you, that's what's on the table. So when you're about to speak to your spouse, you can choose to be led by the Spirit. You can choose to compound brokenness and sin, or you can choose yourself above all else. Your exchanges with your, uh, with your kids or your interaction with your employer, teammates, classmates, fill in the blank. In any of those relational exchanges, at the point of decision and interaction, you can choose one of those three paths. And the other two go into a whole spider web of broken paths that can also be expressed in there. But primarily, it's either I'm choosing myself, I'm embracing the brokenness of this world, or I'm going to choose the Spirit of God. Those are my choices. And he moves on from there. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And so the, the sin and the self is in opposition to what the Spirit of God wants to do in and through your life. And they can't be held in tandem. They're not, uh, they're not simultaneously held. In the point of decision, in the exchange of, of relational interaction, I'm choosing one or the other. I'm either going to speak, act, or relate to somebody as the Spirit of God would lead and intend, or I am not. And it can be all manner of other ways that I'm expressing and experiencing life, but it will not be what God has intended for me. They can't be kind of uh, um, held simultaneously. They're opposed to one another. Okay, so every, every decision that you make, every, every decision that you make is going to set you on one of those two paths. You're either going to choose the Spirit of God and you're going to move into the plans and purposes that God has for your life and the way that He would bring wholeness in your relationships and interactions, or you will choose anything else and it will not create that. And I share that with you because that's the practical part of living our life. 
We can talk about deep theology. We can frame out doctrine. You can memorize Bible verses. You can do all the Bible study in the world. You can fill your heart and mind with content, but if it doesn't practically get out into the way that you live your life, it will not bear fruit. It will not produce anything eternal or lasting. You just know a lot. And for many of us, when we, when we start thinking about those day-to-day decisions, those interactions, those, those ways that we relate to people around us, those ways that we entertain thoughts of ourselves, or the way that somehow we even will hold God at a distance, when we start weighing that, it gets pretty heavy. For a lot of us, we, we feel a condemnation here, but I don't want you to feel that. I want you to feel a freedom to redirect. I want you to feel a freedom to get back on track. Because in each and every moment, let's say you didn't choose the right one, but another choice is coming. Choose the correct one that time. There's always an opportunity to repent, correct, redirect, and to get back into alignment with the thing that God is trying to do in your life. And many of us, when we recognize that we've made the wrong decision at times, we become paralyzed and we we sit there and we forget that we can kind of keep going on. And so I'm going to give you an illustration of how you can just course correct with the Spirit of God in a way that moves you forward and gets you back in alignment with the Lord. And it's one that you guys can all relate to. Has anybody here ever taken a wrong turn? Right? Have you ever been driving? Maybe you've even been following your GPS and they're like, take a left. And you're like, well, I don't, I'm going to just do this one in faith. And you go through the fence, right? Don't do that. But I mean, that's possible. And there's all kinds of stories out there of people who do that. When you make a wrong turn, what do you do? Does it paralyze your life? Are you overwhelmed with condemnation and guilt? Oh, I failed again, maybe. And there's some things that you've got to work through. But don't you just get to the next intersection and get back on track? The other day I was driving uh, to work. Actually, I wasn't driving to work, but that's where I was driving. Right? You get into kind of the rote and the, uh, the rhythm of your life, and you kind of go on autopilot. And I, say, I take the same direction into town. It doesn't matter where I'm going, but frequently I'm coming to church. And so I was on my way to church and almost here when I realized I wasn't going to go to work today. I was actually running a different errand on the other side of town, but I was already almost here. Here's what I didn't do. I didn't throw the car in park, light it on fire, and say, oh, I failed. My life is over. I just turned at the next intersection and laughed about the silliness of my waywardness, and I went about running my errand. Can I tell you that when you are made aware by the Holy Spirit that you've gone wayward, that you took a wrong turn, that you made the wrong choice, can you please just correct, just just redirect? God is kind and loving and gracious and merciful and all of the things that he expresses in Christ on the cross, he can certainly handle your poor decision in the way that you spoke to that person or the way that you acted in your own self-interest. He can certainly handle that, forgive you of that, heal you of that, and redirect you in another direction. And if we could look at life through kind of the simplicity of that lens, that in each one of these interactions, I have an opportunity to choose the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit or something else, I can be more aware of when I miss it and more apt to eagerly and immediately correct it without burning the car. 
but just moving into the next thing that the Lord has for me. And so Paul gives us this contrast. He says, hey, here's some different ways to live, but there's one that's going to be better than the other. And then he moves towards that, and he begins to push on the comparison and the contrast. And again, we're not going to go through the whole, uh, the whole of the, the passage, but we are going to look at this comparison contrast. In verse 19, as he begins this verse, he shifts from this idea of, hey, there's two ways to live your life, or two main paths, and then he goes to the acts of the flesh, or the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And then a little bit later, he makes a different statement, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he begins to give a list. So he says, the acts of the flesh or the sinful nature, they're obvious. Everybody recognizes when those things are happening. And that word, that acts, it means like works. It's like something that you're doing. It's effort that you're putting forth. And when that is done in a way that is aligned with your sinful nature or is aligned with your flesh or just your carnal desires, like everybody knows what that looks like. And he gives a list after that. Uh, and it's not an exhaustive list, but it is a naughty list. And the things on it are things that you wouldn't want said of the way that you're living your life. But everybody can recognize when you're being prideful or selfish. Everybody can recognize when you're, being, uh, when you're being defensive and you're trying to push the blame on somebody else and you are skirting the responsibility for the own decisions that you're making in your life. Everybody can recognize those things. Sometimes we can't because we are blinded to sometimes our own motivation. But everybody kind of sees those. And Paul says, hey, the acts or the work of the flesh, it's, it's obvious. You can see brokenness. You can call it what it is. But the fruit of the Spirit, and then he goes into what we'll be studying over the next several re weeks of love and joy and peace and patience. And he, he brings a contrast here. And here's what I want you to recognize as we move towards this idea of spiritual fruit. Okay, When you are doing something in your own effort and you are creating your own action, when it is your acts or your works, apart from the thing that God is doing in your life, it is going to most likely align with the flesh. It's going to align with your sinful nature. You're going to be on autopilot and driving to the wrong destination because, well, I'm just used to going that direction. You have to relearn a new path, and you've got to keep it out in front of you. The acts of the flesh, the works, are obvious, but the fruit of the Spirit is different. See, he doesn't say the works of the Spirit or the acts of the Spirit or even the work or actions that you do with the Spirit. He uses the word fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is something that is produced in your life because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your uh, participation with Him. The acts, the work that you would do on your own is not going to produce those things. And the reason why that is important is because in a little bit we're going to get to the first part of the list and we're going to talk about love. And it is entirely possible for you and I to go out and say, okay, I'm going to love better this week. I'm going to work harder at being loving. Can I tell you, if you start with your work, with your effort, with what you are going to somehow manufacture on your own, it will not be the love that God is talking about. It will not be the love that Scripture is delineating. It might be a romantic love. It might be a brotherly love. It might be a, a nicety. But it's not going to be what, what we're going to see as, a, as agape love. It's not going to be the love that God demonstrates in the life of his people. It'll be something less. Now, there's a place for us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We don't originate the work, and that's what's important for you to remember. 
So whether we're talking about love, joy, peace, patience, fill in the blank on the qualities and the character of the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't originate in what you do. It originates with the Spirit of God being at work in you. And then as you partner with Him, then it begins to be produced and evident in the things that you do. But those things come after. And so it's important for us to get those things lined out. So you can, in each decision... In each interaction, you can choose one of three things. You can choose the Spirit of God, you can choose uh, the sin nature, or you can choose yourself. And in each one of those choices and each one of those relational interactions, that's kind of what's on the table. And if you go about trying to work with your own efforts in that exchange, you're going to miss the mark. But if you miss the mark, just course correct. Get back on track with the way and the direction that the Lord is leading. So, so Paul kind of builds this idea. Hey, there's different ways to live your life. There's one that is fruitful. There's different things that you can do in your life, but there's one way to be fruitful. And then we get to the verse. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Paul says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Now look at this. Love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we didn't read the naughty list because, honestly, you don't need the naughty list. You know what those things are, and you don't want those things in your life. But we need to be reminded of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And if you remember, we touched on this in our previous sermon series. These aren't different fruits. Okay, so love isn't strawberries, you know, and joy isn't, uh, you know, bananas. I don't know if anybody's joyful about bananas, but that was my best guess, right? Peace, I don't know what that would be. Maybe a kiwi. Those are pretty neat. Like, it's not different fruits. The word is singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit is active in your life, it will produce fruit, and that fruit will have all of these qualities, but listen, so much more. This list here of love, joy, peace, patience, and on and on and on, this isn't the list with nothing else. This is an illustrative list of the type of quality that the fruit of the Spirit produces in your life. Because there's some other things on here that you would think would be on this list, like hope and faith. Those are pretty big deal in following Jesus. He talks a lot about those things, and so does Paul. There's a number of other ways to show compassion and empathy, a number of other ways to relate to the world that you would think would maybe be on this list and would be illustrative of the Spirit of God being at work in a person's life. And certainly that is the case. So just like the naughty list isn't exhaustive and those are the only naughty things that you can do, although they were big ones on there, this is also not an exhaustive list. It's an illustrative list of what the Spirit of God produces in your life. And the fruit of the Spirit is really the character of Christ being formed in you and then demonstrated through you in the way that you live. And it's demonstrated in the way that you relate to God, to others, and to yourself. And what's really interesting is that Paul has nine spiritual fruit here. And again, this isn't that there's only nine. And these are nine qualities or characteristics of a single fruit, so keep that in mind. But he gives us nine. And in that, there are three groups of three within this. There are three triads in this description of the fruit of the Spirit, and they are directional. 
And by what, I'm, what I mean by that is this, that they are primarily to be understood in a relationship direction. So in the first three, I just want you to think about this, love, joy, and peace. Okay, where is the source of those things? Right, the, the, the real source of those things is in God. The, the first three, this first triad is the primary direction is Godward. That he is the source of these things. In fact, the way that God is described as love, using that word agape, that was, that was kind of a new thing going on. That word in the Greek, and we'll get to that in a little bit, it wasn't used commonly in a lot of written uh, uh, literature at that time. They, they didn't use it a lot. If you go into contemporary Greek writings that uh, uh, correlate to this time, when it was being written, you don't actually, in that study, find out really anything more about the word because they weren't really using it primarily. It was something that ends up being holy and purposely defined by God himself for us to understand who he is. And so you've got this idea there, this, this idea of this God word, directional source. So love, joy, right? Irrespective of my circumstance in life, my joy comes from the Lord. In his presence is the fullness of joy. All kinds of promises that are tied to that. And the idea also of peace. Peace not being the absence of, of tumultuous times in the life that I'm living. It's not the absence of difficulty, but it's a quality of assurance that within all of that, I remain resolved and unmoved. I am at peace even in difficult times. See, the Lord is the source of those things, and certainly so many more. But there is a quality of the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God is active in your life, there are things that the Lord is imparting to you. There are things that He is putting into you. There's this directional, relational interaction between you and the Lord. The next three that you've got there is patience, kindness, and goodness. And if you uh, have your Bible out, I would, I would ask you to just put a slash in between the idea of patience and kindness and just separate the first three out from the next three. The next three, the primary direction is outward. This is how I deal with people. See, there are times, to be fair, that we're impatient with God, but primarily, who are we impatient with? Right? It's, it's others. Sometimes we'll reserve a little bit of that for ourselves, but primarily, where is that demonstrated? It's demonstrated in the way that we interact with others. This patience, kindness, and goodness is primarily directed outward. It's demonstrated in how we relate to others and the way that we express relationship with them. And then the last three, the primary direction is inward. The primary direction is inward, the idea of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and we'll look at those when we get to them during that week. But it has to do with the quality of the person that I am on the inside, the way that I understand myself to be and have resolved to be because of my identity in Christ. And so when we recognize that, we see that this idea of the fruit of the Spirit is something, there are elements to the fruit of the Spirit that I am receiving from God. There's characteristic and there are ways that is being expressed through me to the world around me. And there are ways that I understand myself more as a result of that. And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus illustrates this same idea. This kind of this Godward direction, this outward direction, this inward direction. There was a religious leader that came to him and they were trying to quiz him. And they were just like, hey, what's the, what's the most important commandment? In all of Scripture, what's the, what's the most important thing for us to know or to understand or to do or to make sure is taking place 
in our lives. And Jesus replied this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. One of the other translations that he said on another occasion adds strength, your effort. And with that, what is that? That's this vertical direction, right? It's that, it's that Godward interaction. But then right on the heels of that, he brings it to the practical day-to-day way that we live our lives. And he says, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor, that's outward, as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, on your, all your strength on another occasion, and then love your neighbor, love others as you love yourself. And then the challenge for us is, is how do we love? And what type of love are we talking about? Some of us have a hard time loving our neighbors because of our neighbors. <laughs> Some of us have a hard time loving others because we don't love ourselves. And in both of those interactions, when they're off, when they're not aligned with the Spirit of God, it's because we don't understand the love that God has for us. And that brings us to the very first quality of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's love. Love cannot be overemphasized as the central and chief characteristic of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You cannot overemphasize the importance and the central role of love in understanding who you are in relation to your Heavenly Father and then in understanding how you are to relate to the world around you. Paul begins the quality of this single fruit of the Spirit with this word love. Jesus, on many occasions, speaks about love. We'll look at that. Uh, uh, Well, we just looked at that in that exchange there. The apostles and the letters to the church focus on love as being something that's central, being something that is needed. And it was so important that even when Paul was talking about spiritual gifts and when he was talking about all the different things the Spirit of God can do in you and through you, that in the middle of that conversation in 1 Corinthians is the chapter that focuses just on love. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this would be my paraphrase, you can be full of the Spirit and you can be doing all kinds of really cool spiritual things, but if you don't have love, you're not doing jack. You're not doing anything of value. You can read 1 Corinthians 13 and you can see what it really says, but that's my paraphrase. It's, it's this central core understanding. And here's the thing for you and I, here's, here's one of the reasons why it's challenging for us. In our language, in English, we have one word for love. It's love. And so whether you love a person or a band or a food or a thing, you have to say, well, I love that. And then you use the same language for you love God. And it doesn't necessarily elevate God. It just kind of puts everything on an even keel as if somehow your hobby is equal to the person of God in your life. And so we're challenged and conflicted by a lot of that. In the Greek language, there were several words for love. Sometimes when we talk about love, we mean romantic love, and that's not the love that God's talking about here. Sometimes we mean brotherly love, like we would love a teammate or a comrade in arms. And that's not the type of love 
that is being spoken about here. The Greek word for this love is agape, and it's an unconditional, it's an unmerited love, it's a transformative love, that it changes the person who is loved this way. And so that's the challenge for us, because when you go back to Jesus' words, he says, hey, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We are to love him in that way. But oftentimes we try to love him in one of these lesser ways. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves, And again, we relate to one another through one of those lesser loves. But it's agape love that he is talking about here. An unconditional, unmerited, transformative love. And uh, uh, John, in his first letter to the church, in 1 John chapter 4, he unpacks this kind of love. The source of it and how it is to be put on display in our lives. And it's so important for us to grab this, that we have to have this sourced direction uh, from the Lord, and then it needs to be expressed through us, but we have to receive it in order to give it away. First John chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. And this isn't romantic love, and this isn't brotherly love. This is agape love. Let us agape one another. Let us love in a quality of love that is unknown in the way that we just relate in worldly ways, but is only to be known in the way that we relate to our Heavenly Father, understood by what we understand of Him and then expressed through us as an expression of that. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is Love And that is agape love, not romantic love, not brotherly love, not passing fancy, not contractual or obligation. Agape, unmerited, unconditional, transformative, sacrificial, that God loves that way. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Jesus is the ultimate expression of what agape love looks like. And it's when we have his spirit at work in us and his character being formed as a result that we begin to love that way, that we love in an agape way. See, there's other ways for us to express love. We can love ourselves. We can love our own sin and our desires. We can love romantically. We can love kind of as a, as a bro. Like we can just, we can, we can relate in a lot of great and really healthy ways. But the love that we are encouraged to love with is another level up. It's the love of God. And it can only be understood through an understanding of how God loves us. And here's what I know about this love. If you go out this week and you say, Pastor, I'm going to purpose in my heart. Man, I'm going to be so loving. I'm going to love this world like crazy. And you go out and you give it your very best effort. You know what? You might do some nice things. And you might put a smile on somebody's face and you might make their day. And those things are positive. Those are, those are helpful and healthy to some degree. But you won't love the world the way that Jesus did on the cross. You'll love it in a less than word that we don't have in our language. We'll just call it love. But if you're going to go out this week 
and you're going to love in a way that demonstrates the love of God, you're going to have to receive his love first. It always starts there. It always starts there. You have to receive this love in order to express this love. And the same thing is true of the joy and the peace, the three in the list that are sourced from God. And as we look at those, we'll be encouraged to go back to him as the source in order to receive that and to apply it to our practical life. But for this morning, we're just going to focus on the love. You have to receive this love if you're going to express it. And here's what I know for myself. I won't speak for you or your experience. This is just me letting you know what I've discovered about me. Often, when I am unloving... I have forgotten God's great love for me. When I'm unloving towards uh, my wife or my kids, when I'm unloving towards a friend or a family member, when I'm unloving towards a stranger or an acquaintance, when I'm unloving towards an enemy, almost always what I find is when I have responded in that way, I have forgotten to remind myself of God's great love for me. And most of the time, I realize that after I've made the wrong decision. After I've chosen sin or self rather than the Spirit. But instead of lighting the car on fire and throwing my hands up and saying it's all over, I simply take the next opportunity to correct. I take the next opportunity to get back in alignment with what the Lord is doing. And it's in that movement that I receive His grace. I have a deeper appreciation for His love for me. And I have a broader willingness to extend that grace and love to the next decision that I have that could easily slide in the wrong direction. Worship team, if you would come back forward. Church family, if you would stand this morning. I very simply just want to pray uh, over you and for you this morning as we respond. When you go out today, it is likely before you even hit the parking lot that you are going to be interacting in some type of relational exchange. You're going to have decisions that you are making and you will already be presented with some different ways to respond. And you can respond in a way that is led by the Spirit of God and aligned with what he would be looking to do in your life, or you can choose to just embrace the brokenness of sin and kind of keep going in the same direction or slide back into an old way, or you can choose self and just make yourself the center of all things and consider how it's going to impact you. Before you even leave here, you'll have that. my encouragement to you would be to just in the very next opportunity that you have, choose the Spirit of God. And if you need something just even simple to just say, just say yes, Jesus, and then act. Take time to say yes, Jesus, enough to pull a breath in before you let whatever you were going to say come out. To pause and be led into the decision that you're going to make. And as you're challenged with trying to love a world that is often unlovely with a love that is not familiar to you because it's not produced in your own person. Let me remind you that you have to receive it first. 
And I'm going to pray a prayer that is for myself. And if it would be applicable to you, I would encourage you to some way affirm that in your heart and in your mind. But if you would bow your heads, Lord, today I receive your love. Lord, I remind myself of your love. Lord, open my eyes to your great love for me. Lord, not just affection, Lord, but your unconditional, sacrificial, transformative love. Lord, remind me of that. As we took communion today, Lord, that, let that be a reminder of the great demonstration of your love and your goodness. And Lord, as, as I'm reminded of that, God, I, I would want my response to be to give all of my love to you in return. Lord, not the stuff that I have done for you, not the sacrifices that I have made, not the, the things that I would somehow try to present to you as being uh, of merit or worth, Lord, but I would give myself to you. Lord, I would give you my focus, that I would give you my attention, that I would give you my affection, that I would give all of myself in response to your great love for me. And Lord, as I receive your love, let me give that to those around me. Lord, help us to receive from you. Lord, to recognize the great depth of love that you have for us. And Lord, out of that, help us to live in a way that demonstrates that to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I'm gonna have you say some things after me. Okay, so I want to hear you say, and you got to say it with conviction, like you really know that this is true. I want to hear you say, I am loved. I am loved. All right, now, now you're going to say, this is your action part. Okay, let's go back to the first one. I am loved, so I can love. All right, so you're receiving and you're giving there, right? I, uh, I am loved, so I can love. All right, now I want you to look at somebody's face, and I want you to say, you are loved. Oh, you guys were a little bit shy there. You're going to do it again. I'm going to say it to the people at home. Ready? You are loved. You are loved. All right? And now you're going to say, so you can love. So you can love. All right. Go and do that this week. Here's your action steps. Check them out. Snap a picture of these. Each morning this week, begin by thanking God for his love for you. And as you remember that great love, demonstrate it this week to somebody else.